Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. Uh, Today, we're very excited to be talking about synovial sarcomas as our topic of the day, but we'd love to recap on some of the things that have been going on recently. So our last episode was a very unique one. Uh, I unfortunately was not there. This was a a select event just for the uh, Toronto Musculoskeletal Orthopedic Oncology Group, but a very exciting discussion that you had with uh, his other alumni from that program. So tell us a little bit about um, that experience. Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, we were able to touch on a broad number of uh, topics, really focusing on the questions that we received uh, from our listeners, which th- that just brought so much joy to me. Um, and we want to, again, thank all our listeners uh, for uh, really being active uh, with us and participating. And we really appreciate you all. All right. Before we go any further, though, I think this is probably like a good time. You know, it's about six months into the year um, to like check on New Year's resolutions. Uh oh. <laughs> All right. I, I feel like your resolution has something to do with either c- cooking more and eating healthier. Is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd say one of them was, had to do with trying to make new recipes at least a couple All times right, a right. month um, just to try to change it up, you know, get out of the the groove though it is nice to have those go-to recipes that you know you can just bang out in a you know expected period of time and know you can have your dinner and get on with your rest of your evening but um yeah i did want to be able to try to explore a little bit more and try new things so have you tried it have you tried anything new uh yeah i i'd say we've been <laughs> so uh, my my partner and I we've actually been pretty consistent with uh, Taco Tuesdays the last uh, several weeks, uh, but we've been trying different kinds of tacos or things each week. I know it doesn't sound that exciting, but I've been. Yeah, I think. I think yeah, <laughs> I, I, this wasn't. This is kind of separate almost from the uh, just make a new thing every once in a while. But you know, even switching it up as far as like making. Uh, like tofu tacos and <laughs> is, this, is it still a taco if it's tofu yeah why not we, uh, and we make the tortillas homemade too we have a tortilla press and uh use the masa it's not that difficult to make your own tortillas well in theory i would say but i'm still not very good at it my partner is much better than i am at making the tortillas yeah, so the, that, that's been kind of fun. And then I feel like there was something else I had recently. But honestly, it's been been fun. But that's I guess that's been one of the recent things. And then trying to just, I don't know, not get as many, uh, you know, packaged items. Um, we, we, we actually did start a little bit of a garden, though. We're on our way from <laughs> making our own produce to support us both. But... We did start some gardening now that the weather's gotten warmer. How about you? No dice. I mean, I wanted to run a marathon this year. Um, I just made it to a 5K run the other day. Uh, I have to be very honest. But I, I mean, I'm, I feel like I really just need to sign up for one. And, you know, and then uh, maybe uh, maybe then that will push me to do it. Uh, so if any of our listeners, if you have any recommendations on good marathons to do in probably the fall, uh, you can you can reach reach out to us on Instagram and and you know maybe I'll, I'll sign up for one and run it. Speaking of running, 
we do have uh, July is here. July is Sarcoma Awareness Month. Uh, and right after July, obviously, comes the month of August. And in August, Sarcoma Strong is having their annual international 5K run and walk. I will be signing up as part of a team with my um with my university, University of Mississippi Medical Center. And um, and if anyone would like to join our team, you're more than welcome. You could also create your own team. And really the goal of this is to fundraise for uh, Sarcoma Strong, uh, which provides research funding uh, for sarcoma. So this I will definitely be doing. Uh, best believe it. What about you, Elise? Are you going to be joining in this year? Uh, you know, I'm not much for runner, but... I should. Uh, There's I'll a do walk. It. You I can know. walk. I'll I'll do the walk. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'll do All it. All right. There we go. For for least can do it, so can you. That's true. So let's get on to today's episode. Yeah. So as mentioned before, we're talking about another type of malignant soft tissue sarcoma today, um, and the topic of discussion is synovial sarcoma. So. Izu, can you tell us a little bit more about what synovial sarcoma is? What does that mean? So synovial sarcoma, as the name goes, I think we'll probably want to break, the, break that down a bit. So sarcoma, as we know, malignant tumors. The synovial sarcoma in itself are malignant tumors of soft tissue that arise adjacent to joints. All right. And so that begs the question, what is the synovial part? And so the synovium is the lining around joints. So if you have any joint, the knee joint, the elbow joint, the shoulder joint, they all have a lining around it. And that is made up of synovium. Well, it turns out that this name for synovial sarcoma is actually a misnomer because you would think, well, synovial sarcoma should come from synovium, but it does not. It actually arises from what we call primitive mesenchymal cells. And when it was first identified in 1914, what seemed like the correct explanation would be that they were arising from synovium. But now we know that it actually arises adjacent to joints, but not from the synovium itself, but we just never changed the name. All right. What we do have to know with synovial sarcomas are that they are a high-grade tumor and they have a high risk of metastasis. And this is a high risk of metastasis, lymph nodes, as well as other parts of the body, like the lung. Anything else uh, that I, I'm missing or you would like to include into that explanation of synovial sarcoma, Elise? I think that that's, um, it's always interesting to learn a little bit more about where the name of some of these tumors or diseases come from. Um, but yeah, this is a perfect example of where this had a microscopically resembled something uh, and therefore its name was derived from that. And like you mentioned, as we've learned more about it and gotten a little bit better understanding of this over time, the name has persisted, even though it's not necessarily the most accurate terminology to be using. Uh, at this point, <laughs> I think the name has stuck. And so I don't foresee it changing in the future, though we have seen that with some other tumors because it can lead to some confusion. But um, but yes, yeah, so the tumor does not start in the synovium, is not derived from the synovium, but did microscopically look similar to synovium when it was first recognized, which is why it has that name. And I think that's a, a really important point that you already brought up that this, unlike some of the other tumors that we see or other types of sarcomas that we see has a 
high rate compared to others of metastasis or spread to the lymph nodes, which is still somewhat atypical in terms of sarcomas overall, though this is one of the few that we recognize as having that higher risk. And therefore, it's something that we look for very carefully when we see a patient who's been diagnosed with this. Speaking of patients who will be diagnosed with this, who is more likely to be diagnosed with synovial sarcoma? Yeah, so kind of following our our usual pattern of 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 questions, but what who what's the patient population? So in this case, patients with synovial sarcoma are actually typically younger than a lot of the others that we see with soft tissue sarcoma. So in fact, a third of patients are less than the age of 30 years old. And typically we're talking about soft tissue sarcomas in some of the older um, adults, but this is one one of the rarer ones that we will see in younger patients. So average age being in the 15, uh, about in the late teenage years to 40s or so. Um, but this still overall is is a rare tumor overall. Easy. So where where in the body do we see synovial sarcoma occur? Well, we talked about this as part of that name. So being around joints uh, is really uh, where we would see this the most um, with the low extremity, like most of the sarcomas, if you can recall any of the previous episode, whenever we t- discuss tumors usually occur, the low extremities are very common. So around the knee, et cetera, around the hip. It's also common to, it's also, it's also very important to note that synovial sarcomas are also common in the foot. And of the sarcomas of the foot, the synovial sarcoma is the most common. Okay, so the synovial sarcoma is the most common sarcoma of the foot, so foot and ankle. And whenever we do get a diagnosis of this, we want to make sure that we check the lymph nodes because, to reiterate, these are sarcomas that have a predilection for going to the lymph nodes. And for people who are diagnosed uh, with synovial sarcoma, at least, is there some sort of risk factor? Is it something that is genetic uh, in nature, if at all? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, So what we do understand is that there is a a genetic translocation that's recognized, and that's one of the things that they will test for on the pathologic analysis for this tumor. Um, And so there's a a very common translocation that's seen, um, which is translocation X18. um, And this is a, a gene fusion between the SYT and SSX1 genes that we will see. Uh, or the SYT and SSX2 uh, gene rearrangement. So these are both um, types of transcription products that have been characterized and will help to confirm that diagnosis of synovial sarcoma. But otherwise, it's not associated with any syndromes that we're aware of or any specific environmental uh, pathogens or exposures to our knowledge, though, again, we're always learning new things about uh, these rare tumors all the time. Just to add to that, it is not an inherited translocation. This is something that is uh, sporadic or spontaneous. And it's correlated when people are diagnosed with this. Right. And so, and that's something that it's, I think people are always asking us if there's something that, you know, they had done or, or something that could run in the family or that other, you know, family members might want to get tested for when they are diagnosed with a cancer such as this. And 
Um, there are a few that we will talk about in some of our episodes going forward in which that would be relevant, but, uh, but this is not one, though there is a cytogenetic profile of this tumor that is useful for confirming the, um, the diagnosis at the time of surgery or biopsy. Um, and you started to, to talk about this a little bit in terms of where we see these tumors arise, but um, besides the location, what are some of the other symptoms or, or characteristics of a patient? One of the first things you'll notice would probably be a mass. So there's usually a soft tissue mass. Uh, these masses are often painless, uh, although like many things, if they are close to any neural, neurovascular structures, nerves, or blood vessels, or in a tighter area, they can start to cause pain and be uncomfortable. But really the mass is what we're looking for. And then when we see that mass, we would want to get imaging study. As usual, an x-ray is our first one where you would see, sometimes you can see a shadow of a soft tissue mass, but within these lesions, they can be area, or within the mass, they can be areas of calcification, which you would see on x-ray. And our next step from there, usually a CT scan is not necessarily helpful for soft tissue masses and soft tissue sarcomas, but an MRI would be helpful. And this would show uh, heterogeneity within the mass, as well as uh, particularly being bright on the T2 image, all right, and being bright on T2 on the MRI. So once you have all of these, then we would obtain a biopsy. And so if you can give us a quick rundown, you touched on this a bit already, at least what would we get, what we obtain from the path, and what would we what would we see on the pathology? Yeah, and just to um, add a little bit to some of the imaging characteristics that you highlighted, I think it's also important to recognize what something unusual about synovial sarcoma is that it can show some of the fluid fluid levels too. Um, it's one of the sarcoma types that can have that feature, which if some of our listeners may recall from a previous episode, we can also see with some of the bone cysts um, or other types of cystic structures, um, but as we've discussed previously. So this is one that you need to be careful or aware of when you're looking at an MRI and see fluid fluid levels, it may not necessarily rule out sarcoma because synovial sarcoma can show that. But once we get a biopsy after we've gotten that imaging, um, as you mentioned, there's a characteristic uh, pathology that we'll see. Sometimes this can be monophasic, but more often it is biphasic, meaning there are two kind of populations or groups of cell types um, that we can see. Uh, which can include both epithelioid and spindle cell areas. Um, there's also some staining characteristics that are similar to epithelioid or more skin-derived uh, tumors that we would see. But a lot of times for, for this tumor, once it has the overall appearance under the microscope that looks similar to synovial sarcoma, or if that's on the differential, then our pathology friends will do some additional special stains in order to confirm that diagnosis. Um, and some of the things that they will do, I think we've mentioned some of these before, maybe S100, or keratin, or vimentin, epithelial membrane antigen, uh, and CD99. And these are some of the things that they may test for in order to help confirm that diagnosis. Um, and as mentioned previously, we will do that, or they will do the molecular analysis as well to look for that 
uh, X18 translocation uh, and those uh, transcription products of either the SYT SX1 and SYT SX2 um, in order to confirm the diagnosis. And of course, getting confirmation of the specific subtype of sarcoma is important because it may affect the treatment options available and uh, give us some more information as to the behavior, expected behavior of this tumor going forward. So on that note, what would be the treatment options or interventions that, that you would recommend for a patient who came to your office with synovial sarcoma? Yeah, so once we've obtained the diagnosis and confirmed it with a biopsy and pathology, then usually the next thing that guides our treatment is often the staging. And so trying to identify if this if there are lesions anywhere else, so including metastatic disease to the lungs, right? Examining the lymph nodes and checking the lymph nodes. Uh, often there are different scans that can be done to look at the entire body how different people approach it. A PET CT scan could be done. Um, some people can do uh, MRIs. But once we identify the staging, we know now from previous discussions that if you have metastatic disease at presentation, right, often that is a predictor of poor outcomes. And really for the sarcomas and these soft tissue tumors, our treatment uh, remains the same for the primary mass, which is trying to remove the whole lesion with the area of normal tissue. Uh, we combine this with radiation when it comes to soft tissue sarcomas, and the radiation can be done either before or after surgery, depending on the locations and discussions with the treatment teams. And, and really, this is the treatment. For most of our soft tissue sarcomas, we want to radiate the area because there is an area of reactive uh, what we call a reactive zone. So there's a main tumor mass, and we found that some of the tumor cells hang out in adjacent areas. And when we can radiate, we can shrink that area, and that gives us a more reliable margin when we're going in to, for a resection. At this time, there's no set defined role for chemotherapy, and so the treatment that we usually use would be a radiation in combination with surgery. And what about after a resection? If we, sorry, you had something to say, Elise? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think synovial sarcoma is, it's one of the soft tissue sarcomas that is probably where chemotherapy is considered a more viable option than some of the others that we take care of and is considered to be potentially more chemosensitive, but it, it definitely is uh, center dependent as far as the treatment options that are offered and discussed with patients. And there's a lot of other factors that go into play with that in terms of, um, as easy mentioned, the stage of the disease, if it's spread to other sites, as well as the age and just overall health of the patient as well. But definitely, I would agree that uh, we don't have an established role for chemotherapy that's well-defined, but uh, this is probably one where it would be more considered more than in maybe some of the other soft tissue sarcoma subtypes that we may see as well. Right. And so what happens after this mass has now been resected? What are your thoughts on surveillance after treatment? Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. So some of the things that we are monitoring for with surveillance are not only local recurrence, meaning at the site of disease. So if limb salvage is what's offered, then typically that would involve um, imaging of the local region, though, again, depending on the location, that may just be physical exam alone um, and or uh, an MRI of the area to look for recurrence, as well as screening for distant metastasis which although the, the lymph nodes are a site that we can see metastasis to with this uh, disease, this is something that uh, still more, more commonly would spread to the lungs than the lymph nodes. So it's, uh, some sort of imaging of the chest, typically a CT scan initially, but with potential transition to a chest X-ray uh, at some point, uh, as well as screening for metastasis to the lymph nodes. And again, as, as Easy mentioned, that's definitely something that's center dependent as far as how that uh, type of surveillance is done, whether that's with a PET scan, MRI, or otherwise. Yeah. And I think this might be a good time to just review some other tumors that have a high rate of metastasis uh, to the lymph nodes. Uh, if you would like to go over those for our listeners. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of mnemonics that we tend to like to use to remember some of the tumors that have at least historically been recognized as having a higher rate of lymph node metastasis than others. Some people say cares or races or... Uh, what I've never I've never heard those two. I'm I'm really? like a Esark or scare. Yeah, Esark scare cares races. races. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of different uh, ways you can combine. I feel like this is like a word jumble where you can just <laughs> there are five letters that you can easily uh, you know make into whatever whatever mnemonic you prefer. I feel like scare, I don't really like that because I'd like to keep things more positive, but I've heard ESARC and that makes the most sense to me. So I agree. That's the one that I like as well. But care sounds nice, but of course, um, yeah, there's any any mnemonic you'd prefer. Let's use ESARC. So what does that mean? E-S-A-R-C. These are the five tumors that, again, historically, at least, we've most commonly recognized as having a higher risk of lymph node metastasis. So the E in E-SARC stands for epithelioid sarcoma, which we have not spoken about yet. The S is synovial sarcoma, which we're talking about today. The A stands for angiosarcoma, another topic that we will be discussing in the future. R is for rhabdomyosarcoma. This is one that we actually more commonly see in the pediatric or children population. And then C is for clear cell sarcoma. So these are all different sarcomas that will be topics of episodes in the future going forward. Um, and I think there's there's been some recent literature that suggested we may not be picking up on lymph node metastasis and some of the other tumor types um, as much as uh, maybe we ought to be, but that's probably dependent on just the way in which different centers like to surveil for this or uh, assess for this. But there could be some other tumor types that may still have a higher rate of metastasis to lymph nodes um, as well. And so this mnemonic may, may change going forward as we continue to get more data. 
to support that. But um, unfortunately, lymph node metastasis does often portend a poor prognosis overall. So it's important to recognize when this has happened, if there has been spread of the disease to the lymph nodes, because it may change that discussion that you have with your patient about the treatment options, or at least the order of uh, treatment options available, including uh, chemotherapy potentially. So uh, important for us to recognize. And sort of on the, uh, on the topic of prognosis, uh, Izu, can you tell us a little bit about survival and, and prognosis for patients with synovial sarcoma? Yes. And so the sort of the numbers that we have uh, are that about five years, the survival is close to 50% for synovial sarcoma. And at 10 years, about 25%. Uh, there is some debate as to whether certain translocation types uh, have a more improved survival. So it's as if you have a SSX1 versus SSX2 on the uh Translocation, if that makes a difference, I think there's still a lot to be shelled out about synovial sarcoma. Whenever we have rare sarcomas, there's always room for us to have more improved research and data collection and analysis. And what I would like to, as we're coming to a close here, uh, like to finish us off with is some some salient points uh, from the episode. Uh, at least you have a couple that you would like to share. Yeah, so I think kind of going back in order of how we discuss things, uh, as mentioned, synovial sarcoma is a little bit of a misnomer. So it was named based on what it looked like under a microscope first. Um, So it's derived from, or at least typically it's uh, felt to start from cells that are adjacent to the joint, but not from the synovium or synovial cells itself. Synovial sarcoma is associated with a very characteristic translocation. That's X18. More particularly important for any uh, uh, medical students or residents or other trainees who may be listening to this topic. Commonly tested question for us. Um, And the other thing that's unique about synovial sarcoma is that it's more common in younger individuals than some of the other patients we see with soft tissue sarcomas. We talked about it being the most common soft tissue sarcoma in the foot. Synovial sarcomas also have a high risk of metastasis to lymph nodes along with the other members of the races, scare ESARC group. Our closing would like to say that it is important to note that every patient's case is unique and treatment for each diagnosis is dependent on the discussion with your team of physicians. If you'd like more information about the episode, please feel free to check out the links on the episode description. I'm very excited about all the episodes we have in store for everyone coming up. You know, we appreciate everyone being patient with us. We try um, trying to get all the topics in. I, I believe uh, we have a few things that are coming down the down the pike here. We have um, planned a second episode with uh, Brandy Benson, which is a part two episode uh, of our podcast. Uh, of our sarcoma survivor series. Uh, we'll also have other sarcoma survivors and more sarcoma stories for you guys. We'll also have more sarcoma team members coming up. This is the oncologist, the radiation oncologist, the radiologist, your your physical medicine and rehabilitation doctors who work with sarcoma patients. So we have a whole slew of these. Uh, the prosthetist, 
as well as more benign and malignant uh, soft tissue and bone tumors. Um, we'll also be branching out and giving you some more information about metastatic disease as a whole and how that affects bone. And so we are very excited about uh, this, um, what the future uh, holds in store for us, as well as all the excellent guests we'll have for you. Elise, any comments? Some of the malignant tumors we'll be talking about, as, as we mentioned today, are some of those ESARC tumors, though we won't necessarily be talking about them in that order, obviously. That's definitely some of the specific ones that we'll be talking about uh, coming up. But I'm really excited to talk with Brandy again, and hopefully we can get uh, a special guest to join her as well to talk about the complete patient and patient family experience. Um, so I think that'll be really worthwhile for everyone. And I'm, I hope all of our listeners are as excited about that as I am. But we're very happy to be uh, celebrating Sarcoma Awareness Month in July. And going to be a great month. We're going to all going to train for the run walk. That'll be coming up soon. That's right. Um, myself included. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and also register. Don't just train. So yeah, <laughs> yes. register Sarcoma Strong. I think yeah. it's dot, dot org or dot we, com. We'll share the link with the episode. Sarcoma Insight.